I don't think a lot of people understand why wolves are so important. A lot of people love them because they're cool. A lot of people hate them because they think they're scary. But really, none of that actually matters. Um, You know, they're not evil. They're not saints. They're just animals trying to survive. But their impact is really, really huge. This is Shannon and Kristen are bound on us. The Vogel Twins! Yay! <laughs> Today we are taking you to New, New York. York. But we'd like to dedicate the month of November to giving back to a charity of our choice. So this year we've decided to dedicate our time and resources to supporting the Wolf Conservation Center in New York. We believe in the important work that the center is doing to protect and preserve wolves and their ecosystems. And we want to do our part to support their efforts. So On today's episode, we are excited to explore the incredible work being done by the Wolf Conservation Center in South Salem, New York. The center is dedicated to the protection and preservation of wolves through education, advocacy, and participation in species recovery and reintroduction programs. Our guest today is Dana Gowen, a wildlife outreach specialist at the Wolf Conservation Center. Dana is responsible for coordinating and leading many of the center's educational programs and outreach initiatives, which aims to engage and educate the public about the importance of wolf conservation. We are honored to have her today to share her expertise and insights on the critical work being done by the Wolf Conservation Center to protect wolves and their ecosystem. Hi, thank you so much for coming on today. Yes. First off, I would love to get right into it and ask, how did you get into the whole wolf conservationism? Oh, that's a great question. So I have always been so interested in animals. Um, I always knew I wanted to work with animals. And from when I was a very young age and would tell people that they would say, oh, so you're going to be a vet. And I was like, I don't know. That's, you know, it seems (laughs) logical, but I love vets, but that's Mm -hmm. not really for me. So I realized Mm -hmm. as I was, you know, approaching high school and everything like that, um, that I could actually Mm -hmm. take my love of animals and my love of nature merge them. They're not all that distant. Um, And so I ended up studying Mm -hmm. wildlife conservation when I went to undergrad. Um, But interestingly enough, I actually had an encounter with the Wolf Conservation Center in high school. Um, And that's how I really kind of came to know it. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I went to a private school, we had these kind of seminar courses and whatever. And one of the other classes had um, the Wolf Center visiting. And back then, the Wolf Center actually had um, a traveling wolf. Um, And we can talk about that later if you want um, and explain. Oh, my God, yes. And so um, (laughs) he actually came to our high school, but I was no longer taking that class. I excused myself to go to the bathroom and ran to where (laughs) this wolf was. And I sat in the back of the auditorium and I was just blown away. And so then when Mm -hmm. it came time to look for internships and everything like that, I was like, well, there's that wolf center place that's not that far. And so, and I was already studying wildlife conservation at that point. So I ended up interning with the wolf center um, for two summers during undergrad. And so that was kind of my first foray into working Mm -hmm. with wildlife. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I, after graduation, I traveled around the country and I was a wildlife research technician. So my first job out of college was um, working with as an intern with the National Park Service, and I was in Southern California, and I was tracking mm-hmm. the mountain lions there, um, and the bobcats That's and coyotes. But but yeah, I was out 
in the mountains of LA County. So the Santa Monica mountains, if any listeners are familiar. Um, And I was tracking the mountain lions and monitoring their locations and collecting data and doing all that stuff. And then kind of bounced around. Um, The nature of those jobs is always seasonal. So then I was in South Carolina and I um, was working with raccoons and opossums. And then I was in Illinois and I was studying, um, Rac- no, I was studying coyotes, bobcats, and white-tailed deer. So I just kind of bounced around and did all these different jobs for a few years. And then the Wolf Conservation Center wanted to um, kind of, you know, boost up our local wildlife outreach. So I came back as the wildlife outreach specialist. And I've been here for a little over four years now. So it really worked. It kind of all came full circle. But that's mm-hmm. how I ended up where I am. <laughs> Look that at you go. So cool. Oh my God. That's so cool. That is the coolest thing ever. And it's just like, can you imagine telling your friends who like intern at like, you know, nine to fives? So you're like, yeah, I'm just, you know, hanging tracking. Out I'm just hanging out with the Bobcats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so wild. Those kind of workers. Yeah. yeah. I just kind of like, you- what- <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking, though, like, you know, because obviously you're like in this, like, you know, in their territory, you know, yeah, what I their mean? Environment. Like, in their environment. Was there any like moments like during your internship specifically that like it ever felt dangerous because they are wild animals? Like essentially. The end of the day. You know what yeah. I mean? Or like, is there certain protocols that you learn throughout your training or like, yeah. do they teach that kind of stuff? I'm so curious. I mean, with that job. So, I mean, of course, there's always a risk. Um, we're talking about nature and wildlife and large carnivores. But the reality is, especially with mountain lions and wolves, wolves too, they're so afraid of people. Um, so I was usually out there tracking by myself. Um, and there were some situations where I was much more nervous about people than I was about potentially encountering a lion. But I did do night tracking. So, you know, when they're more active. But I personally got very lucky in that I happened to kind of have repeat encounters with um, the group of mountain lions I was tracking. So usually you're not seeing them. They have a radio collar. You're listening on an antenna. Mm -hmm. They're kind of in the distance and you're just sort of picking up a Mm -hmm. signal. But at night, Mm -hmm. because they're moving a little bit more, you might actually hear them. And I was actually mostly tracking this female mountain lion. Her name was P-19. Um, and yeah. And, oh, I would run around and I would just sing to myself, I want to love you. P19. I don't know if you're going to get copyright issues with that, but, um, I got that stuck in my head. Um, anyway, so I was tracking her and her two kittens that at that time when I started were about six months old. So, you know, moving around, but, um, still really reliant on her. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes at night I would just turn off all my equipment, especially if I could tell they were really close and I would hear her chirping to them. It was so wonderful. And every once in a while I would see their eye shine or one time I hopped out of my truck and I heard a little rustle and this was at night. I assumed Mm -hmm. it was, you know, a bird or something. And I Mm -hmm. turned and I had this headlamp on and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's one of the kittens. And at that point they were full grown. I was like, hey, that's a P46 right there. <laughs> and I, I startled her and she sort of stared at me and I was like, hey, I can see you. And she just kind of backed away like, oh, that's a person. But yeah, really cool adventures. I kind of can't believe sometimes that that was me doing that stuff. But wow. yeah, really neat. <laughs> Oh my God. I feel like the urge to not want to pet them. Like, I feel like I would like, and I know you shouldn't because they're obviously wildlife, but I just want to pick it up and be like, 
the cute my, aggression right is there. My intrusive white woman thoughts when I see something <laughs> fluffy is like not safe or not condoned. Yeah. But like I, I just can't especially imagine. Especially feel like, is. especially like cats. Cause I, we have, oh, yeah. I, we have two beautiful cats at home. Oh yeah. And I'm I just feel person. like I would like see them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I feel like I would see them and like think that they are like. Yeah. Our Elsa and Kiki shout out there. Yeah. Like, right. I just oh, want to hold them so I We would do den right? checks sometimes, and you're kind of like checking the kittens in the den. And I was like, oh my God, all I want to do is, is shriek because they are so cute and they're so fierce. And I was like, you're just oh this God. little tiny bobcat or there's this little four week old mountain lion. And obviously, we're not there to cuddle or anything like that. But I was no, just yeah, like, oh my God, it's taking every ounce of my being to not like scream yeah. or just like nibble this kitten like I, yeah. I have to oh, yeah I, I can't imagine you are a strong human being you're strong <laughs> I don't have that restraint I would I not do just, well at that job no not all it honestly reminds me of and I'm kind of curious your thoughts on it because I mean I'm sure you've probably seen it online but like it kind of reminds me of the people who like also study lions but like they get like really close they're like the people who study hyenas you know what I mean yeah, where it's yeah. like they go to the certain areas and they get so used to the human they kind of adopt them in a way or that's or, the impression I get or I feel like I've also, I've also seen number I don't know the guy's name so I'm, I, I can't quote on who this person is but I know that there's one guy I think it is hyenas where he like has like adapted in a way that like he's understood like he's the top of the chain or something to like oh, identify to them <laughs> I was like to me that's like how do you do that like, like I'm assuming that. you didn't have to be like I'm mama bear hair yeah like, <laughs> like you know. just kind of watched and did your studies I'm actually curious what kind of data did you collect like was it like just like to see like how they're doing like what is like the I guess like the importance in kind of collecting that data in this sort of these um wildlife really yeah yeah so with the mountain lions um that was basically is a population of lions that lives in you know a major metropolitan area and so with that mm. particular population um they are sort of trapped by ocean on one side, highway on the other. So it's creating this kind of island habitat effect where there's no gene flow. Um, the population is eventually going to theoretically go extinct um, in that small area just because there's you know no gene flow. There, there's no real chance at dispersal or anything like that. Um, and so what we were doing is um, we were kind of taking their locations. So often animals, when they're being tracked in the wild, they have GPS collars. And so those GPS collars mm. will transmit their actual data points, like where that collar is. So if it's affixed mm. to an animal, where that animal is. Um, but sometimes, depending on the study, sometimes you use what's called a VHF collar, which stands for very high frequency. And that is when you have someone out there with an antenna kind of essentially listening mm. to a radio signal. But the worst radio station you've ever heard, it's all static until every <laughs> once in a while you hear a, a really quiet click or beep and then you're just honing in on that um yeah. and so what I was doing because p19 that mama lion um mm-hmm. her Pretty GPS collar, <laughs> yeah her and she's <laughs> honestly gorgeous I recommend looking her up after this just Santa Monica Mountains p19 beautiful Perfect. um I'm yeah. doing but, it <laughs> yeah but um her GPS collar was running out of battery and so to preserve that battery, it switches over to VHF. So you need a person tracking them. And especially because she had those kittens, we had to know, you know, where she was, the survival of those Mm -hmm. kittens, all that stuff. Because another thing that happens with that particular population is that um, there's a lot of potential for infanticide. So males coming in Mm -hmm. and encountering that female and her kittens 
and killing the kittens so that she goes back into heat and he can reproduce. Um, it happens with African mm-hmm. lions. So if you've watched those documentaries, you might see, you know, the male comes in and kills all the young cubs in the pride. It's very distressing. Usually that's not, they're, they're unrelated to that male, okay. but in this situation, they're often their own offspring. So it really defeats oh. the purpose of passing on your genes because you're actually making it much more difficult. Um, yeah. yeah. So we were doing that, um, kind of just monitoring, um, diet. So with the GPS points, we would sometimes go mm. in and, um, figure out, okay, this, these clusters of points on a map indicate mm-hmm. maybe there was a kill here. And so hiking in and figuring out oh. what they ate, um, was it, you know, the wild ungulates, so deer, or mm. was it a pet, um, which wasn't that common, but, um, mm. things like that. Uh, yeah. So it was really, really interesting and just, I mean, daily adventures. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll do that with wolves too. I won't specifically do that, but, you know, researchers Mm -hmm. out in wolf territory, they'll do the same kind of monitoring techniques with those GPS collars and, um, stuff like that. Yeah. That's wild. wild. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Honestly, would you say though that like, obviously I feel like it's such an experience. Would you say that you were able to kind of, I guess, be influenced by what you're doing today at the conservation center from like learning all that stuff, like you were able to bring it back to the conservation center. Yeah. I think, um, Mm -hmm. kind of having that experience of being out there doing field work does Mm -hmm. really influence my ability to do outreach. Um, and Mm -hmm. especially, you know, explaining, um, the different collars and stuff like that. And one thing that we'll do, Mm -hmm. especially with, you know, school groups or during summer camp or after school, because we Mm -hmm. have all kinds of different programs, um, we'll actually do tracking techniques. So, We'll have a collar and we kind of do hide and seek. It's really adorable. So one group, you know, a a counselor with um, the GPS collar and some kids, they'll take that collar and they'll go hide somewhere. And then the other group, we have the antenna and the, um, you know, the radio and everything like that. And so we're listening. So, you know, you're kind of using your head where you're like, okay, where would I hide if I was a group of people? But that's what you do when you're tracking animals anyway. You're sort of like, would they be over here? Would they? But you're really honing in with that collar and listening for that signal and eventually you're like we got you it's really adorable oh, um that's so cute yeah. is there an age limit yeah like, can i play hide and seek like that sounds so fun oh, honestly yeah. i don't care how old i am that sounds so fun yeah it's really that's fun a really cool way to learn right yeah. i love i love being like this is a real technique and yeah. it's not like you're doing this in school like no one has these collars are expensive so no one's like using yeah. these as toys except for us yeah. Um, yeah 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 but it's it's a really fun way to introduce kids to different research techniques and different methods and mm-hmm. talking about why do we do this I mean I always picture myself at that age you know if yes. I had known even earlier that I could do something like this or if I had gone mm-hmm. to a camp I mean I loved the camp the little day camp I went to but if I had been introduced to stuff like this even younger you know what would that have done? So I just, I really have so much fun with it. <laughs> that is honestly so that. cool. Oh my I God. honestly love the opportunity that this conservation also does where it like really teaches like and educates. kids and educates like the yeah. people who really visit. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about the history and the mission of the Wolf Conservation Center? Yeah, sure. So we um, were founded in 1999 um, actually by a concert pianist who also had a passion for wolves. 
Um, so she sort of selected, interestingly enough, our office is her old house. Um, but she sort of selected where we are, um, because we're a little over an hour outside of New York city. So we're kind of, you know, Northern Westchester. So those of you that are listening that are familiar, um, it's, there's a lot of green space up there. Um, and so it, we have the opportunity to, um, you know, have these large enclosures and sort of be in the woods, but we're still pretty accessible. Mm -hmm. So people can come from the city or they can, um, come from, you know, the surrounding counties and visit us, but we're also, you know, not that far from a lot of international airports. So that's kind of why Mm -hmm. we are where we are. Um, but then when we, you know, our mission, we kind of are bringing people in and sort of inspiring them as individuals to protect and preserve wolves. And we do that um, through education, advocacy, research and recovery. So education is, you know, our programs that we have on site um, or we do a lot of virtual field trips. So we'll kind of, you know, zoom into classrooms and sort of bring mm-hmm. the wolves to them, um, which, you know, is a great tool. And I think everyone's tool belts. I mean, we're doing this over um, Mm -hmm. a digital form, but um, so I think that's been, you know, weirdly a a great silver lining with this pandemic Mm -hmm. that we have kind of, you know, developed this new muscle. Um, So we're able Mm -hmm. to especially reach schools that maybe are too far or wouldn't have been able to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, get a bus to bring us here, or it's just would be too Mm -hmm. long a trip. Um, So we're able to do that. We do a lot of scientific webinars, a lot of outreach, um, and then advocacy. We're always trying to get people to realize that, you know, as individuals, we have voices. You don't have to be part of a bigger organization. You know, we are all um, able to advocate for different causes that we believe in, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we're able to vote, you know, voting for people that care about habitat management and wildlife Mm -hmm. conservation and science. Um, those are all really important things. Um, you know, signing petitions, sending emails, making phone calls. Mm -hmm. But even I, when I talk to little kids, I say, you know, the next time you're watching a movie and your main characters get chased by a pack of wolves through the woods. So like it happens in beauty and the beast, it happens in frozen, Mm -hmm. turn to the person next to you and say, hang on a second. I learned that wolves are actually terrified of people and this would not happen. (laughs) And, you know, even the stories we grow up with, Little Red Riding Hood, The Three Little Pigs, The Boy Who Cried Wolf, we're just repeatedly Mm -hmm. told wolves are the bad guy. But as -hmm. you see, when you come to the Wolf Center, our wolves are terrified of people, even the ones that, I mean, aside from our two ambassador Mm -hmm. wolves that are, you know, deliberately comfortable around people, the rest of them, Mm -hmm. even if they've lived in captivity their whole lives, they think we're pretty spooky (laughs) and they should. Um, Yeah. And that's how they would be in the wild. And then research, you know, we fund research projects, we have um, a research team. And so one of our our senior research scientists, um, he is a red wolf expert. So he's, you know, in the field, um, you know, studying wild red wolves and studying coyotes and how they interact and how they might interbreed sometimes and, um, and then recovery, you know, that is releasing wolves into the wild. Um, and then being part of this federal recovery program where uh, wolves, it, some of our endangered wolves actually get the opportunity to breed, um, which is always really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Little <laughs> little animals around. I would love that. Little, little, yeah. Little it's pretty cute. Were they pups or cubs? Like, what, pups. what, is, what, is, what the, is the terminology? What is the term? What is it? Yeah, they're pups. What, what are the baby? 
little pups. pups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> little so pups. My cute aggression could never. <laughs> yeah. They're they're so oh cute. But we're hands off with oh them, um, except for yeah, yeah, no, a few things that we need to do, like vaccines and stuff, but yeah, we're no, just yeah, watching them. I'm sorry um, like we're making campus. it sound like we're encouraging people. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I, do not touch I totally, <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, want to clear to, I want to be really clear to any of my listeners. Don't listen to the unprofessionals, Shannon and Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> listen <Yeah>. to Dana. <laughs> we are not yeah. at all advocates. We yeah. want to be. That's why you're here today. Yeah. To yeah. Just <laughs> not to touch them. But I will say it is so amazing. Something to bring back that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. The fact that because of technology, you can bring this into classrooms today. Yeah. Like, it's actually funny. We talked about this off mic with you, but yeah. the reason we even know about the Wolf Conservation Center is because actually in junior high, yeah. Shannon and I, we had like, it was like a science class and it was for one of these uh, like semesters, we had to adopt a wolf. Yeah. But what, how amazing would it have been if we were able to video chat and like really yeah. got to be involved because we never really got the opportunity to go to the conservation center at the time just because we are older yeah. <laughs> not older um so they didn't have that back then but what an amazing opportunity to be able yeah. to really show the children like you know these opportunities to like see for their movies you know it being like wolves aren't scary like I mean, yes, they're wildlife, you know, you yeah. need to be careful. I'm not going to not say that, but they're scared of you. Like they're yeah. not going to attack you if, you know, not provoked, you know, I and will things like that. I mean, this is two totally different things. But I think the <laughs> only movie that portrays wolves in a somewhat nice light is Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not real. That's a werewolf. No comment. <laughs> oh my God. I, I just had to shout out to my Jacob lovers. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Do you, Do you Jacob or team edward i'm sorry yeah that was a, that was the real introduction not not the science class not the science that was my real love for wolves. that's where it stopped <laughs> that's, that's where, where it, that's where it really that was home. the cultural reset for me screw junior high <laughs> oh my god, oh my no, god. i'm kidding i'm kidding obviously yeah no. and, and on a serious note i am actually curious about what, are, what would you say are the biggest challenges facing wolf populations today and how is like this organization addressing them I would say humans um, are kind of the biggest mm -hmm. challenge, which is interesting because at the same time, we're mm -hmm. currently, you know, the only way they're going to be recovered. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, habitat loss and hunting and poaching and poisoning mm -hmm. and all kinds of things make it really challenging for wolves to survive. And, um, you know, right now, gray wolves in the, in North America occupy 10% of their historic range. Um, so there's a lot of states that say, you know, we have too many wolves. And it's sort of like, well, compared to what? I mean, we don't. We have very few wolves compared to how they historically were. And, you know, it's really difficult. So that's really where a lot of the education comes in, um, getting people to realize that not only, you know, are wolves really vital, but there's no science that supports killing wolves. Um, wolves are actually, you know, incredibly beneficial to the ecosystem. Um, and so it's really, you know, important to kind of make that connection for people. And then, you know, mm. trying to reason with um, different sorts of stakeholders. So people that maybe have ranches and things like that, trying to find this common ground where it's like, well, you know, wolves can be incredibly beneficial. Coyotes can be incredibly beneficial. We just have mm. to better coexist with them. Um, so I would say definitely humans are the biggest challenge, unfortunately. Um, I mean, one of the first laws in the country was actually a bounty on wolves. So people 
who would get paid for every wolf that they killed and could kind of prove that they had killed. So it really incentivized it. And a lot of it has to do with when European colonizers came over and they had these stories or they had these misconceptions about the impact of wolves. And so they started, and other large carnivores, so they started to try to really eradicate them. And unfortunately, they were pretty successful at it. Um, But, you know, to put it into perspective, yeah, a lot of people think that wolves have this enormous impact on livestock and that, you know, maybe there's something to, um, you know, eliminating them and things like that. But wolves account for 0.09% of livestock deaths. So they have this enormous, you know, there's a stigma that, that wolves are a danger. And, you know, of course they'll go after livestock every once in a while. They're, they don't know what's appropriate or inappropriate Mm -hmm. prey. They're trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And, when there's cattle on the landscape, they are pushing out the native fauna that would be there. So the elk and the moose and the bison, they have to move on because the food they would have been grazing on is now being consumed by um, cows and by sheep. And so wolves that are mm-hmm. territorial, they're left there with not many other options. So wolves are killed in retaliation. They're killed preemptively. They're, I mean, there's, you know, enormous um hunts and derbies and things like that. Idaho, for example, wanted to eliminate 90% of its state's wolves, um, which, yeah, would leave the population at under 200 wolves, which is just mind-blowing to me. So, yeah, again, the science doesn't support that. um, But, yeah, so it's it's challenging. Oh, my God. Poor babies. Poor pups. They yeah, have the yeah. pups here. I know. No, but honestly, oh, that's that's awful. But I will say something that is like a really great thing that you highlighted that I didn't even know because it's, again, it's a misconception. Yeah, and media like, does, you know, say. like with certain movies, like you're right, you know, some takeaways you think that they're these aggressive creatures, but they're not. But the one thing I'm like really shocked by, which is a great thing you're highlighting, is that like I feel like the reason why they validated those hunts. Is because they think that the pr- like that the livestock is like being killed because of them. Because honestly, yeah. that's and what I would have assumed. Me like, too. Based off of like what what's the purpose in doing that, or like right. why they feel this need to, and that surprises me. Like I'm like, what? I know, yeah. and it just it's so sad to think that like these animals. There's no there's no data to back that up as to why. It's like why are you after my babies? Well, I, I, <laughs> yeah. just, I just can't even imagine it. <laughs> yeah. I just that must be a really hard conversation when it's like, you know, trying to convince these people when these yeah. like passing these kinds of bills where you're like, this is just ridiculous. Like what's the data that's backing this up? When you have clear data that you guys have collected, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? To be like this right. isn't the case for these animals. Yeah. I'm oh my God, I can't even imagine what you guys have to go through. And I have to say though, on a more lighter note though, because we did mention obviously that you like track some of the animals but you also obviously work with them we would love to learn more we're kind of really interested I should say yes uh, learning more about the wolves themselves can you tell us um about some of the individual wolves living at the center and some of their stories yeah sure so right now we have 30 wolves that live on site at the wolf center um and I say right now because of course that number is always changing whether it's births Mm -hmm. deaths releases transfers things like Mm -hmm. that um and it's especially kind of a temporary number because we're in the middle of pup season. So we're expecting that um, at least one of our wolves should be giving birth very soon. Um, It's possible she already has just maybe not right in the den. Um, So really exciting. That's always just so magnificent when that happens, but um, okay. Some wolves that I'll highlight are two ambassador wolves. Um, 
they are basically the two wolves that have been hand raised. So, um, you know, that's not something that we do with our wolves typically, but we want people to have the opportunity to actually see wolves when they visit. And like I said before, Mm -hmm. they're normally pretty terrified of us. Um, And so this is a good way that people can kind of see wolves, fall in love with them, learn about their behavior, body language, communication, eating, everything like that. Um, So those two wolves are Alewa and Nakai. Um, So Alewa actually just turned 12 years old um, in April. Mm -hmm. And Nakai is her younger brother. So they are full siblings. um, And (laughs) he just turned nine years old in April. Um, So these two have lived at the center since they were just a few weeks old and are socialized to people. So when they came as very young pups, they were hand raised by um, some of our staff members, some long-term volunteers and a dog. Um, And so it's really important. I know it's really important in those those first few weeks that they're getting a lot of exposure since they are going to be, you know, on exhibit, they're going to be exposed Mm -hmm. to a lot of people and naturally they would be pretty wary. So Mm -hmm. they're with people 24 seven. We call those people their pup nannies. Um, and they just by nature of being around people are exposed to different sounds, movements, smells, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that when we do have groups of, you know, around 40 people visiting at once, um, they're not going to be frightened by, you know, one crying baby or someone's cell phone going off or someone popping open an umbrella. They're pretty curious. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're really there. So people will fall in love with them. They're there as representatives Mm -hmm. for their wild counterparts. And their impact on wolf conservation is, I mean, difficult to, you know, quantify. They're, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we'll ever really understand how many people have fallen in love with them and, you know, stood up for wolves. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, they are living behind a fence. Their enclosure is two and a half acres. It's pretty large. Um, but mm-hmm. it's something that we're always thinking about. You know, we want to always be repaying them because even though their subspecies of gray wolf is not technically releasable, it's still a big sacrifice. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, they get a lot of snacks during programs that helps. They get a lot of different <laughs> enrichment and they never have to be around people if they don't want to. So the public is never mm-hmm. inside their enclosures. If that wolf decides, yeah, today I'm not feeling it, then the educator has to figure out how to stand in front of what looks like an empty enclosure and talk, um, which we've done. I mean, in the middle of summer yeah. when the wolves are just like, no, it's too hot. It's like, okay, yeah. they don't want their snack. That's fine. Um, so, I mean, not to make it sound like they're not being fed because the snacks no, no, are really no, no, a handful mean. of food. Yeah, they get bigger do meals. They don't want to do. Exactly. Yeah. So they're not yeah, trained yeah. or anything like that. Um, but they usually choose to kind of be around people because it is enriching for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the two wolves that people are typically most familiar familiar with but then we have um right now we have 10 critically endangered red wolves living at the wolf center we have um 18 endangered mexican gray wolves um so let's see one of the mexican gray wolves her name is rosa and she is she just turned um 15 years old actually on earth day um, so I think oh, right oh, now she's, day, yeah, I know it's perfect. perfect. Um, I think right now she's the oldest wolf that currently lives at the wolf center. Um, oh, and okay. she was actually part of the very first litter of Mexican gray wolves that was ever born at the wolf center. So really special mm. that she's, you know, been here her whole life. Um, she's mm-hmm. been mom to 
10 pups in her lifetime. Um, and two of her little grand pups have been released into the wild. So a little piece of her is out yeah. in the wild west, um, which is really <laughs> special. So yeah. I just, I love that. And um, her daughter, Trumpet, is what, her nickname. Um, she's actually one of our breeding females this year. She's the most genetically valuable female Mexican gray wolf in the entire recovery nice. program. So um, mm-hmm. if she has pups in the next few days, it'll be her fourth litter. Um, and, you know, she's just, they're all contributing so much to the world of wolf conservation in, you know, increasing the numbers, but also increasing genetic diversity, which is really huge <laughs> for this, these populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I will say that is incredible. If you, I just want to know if there's an application for a net pup nanny. <laughs> yeah, uh, can, I, I, can I sign up? up? <laughs> I, I, I know we all think that. Long. Oh my god! I will. I would die for a pup nanny situation. I know uh, it's, it's really. If you need cool. any extra hands? Oh, if you need any extra hands? I volunteer. <laughs> That sounds that is incredible. Adorable. Yeah. It's also so beautiful that you guys have such an amazing array of wolves and yeah. like the, the work that you guys are doing to like make sure that yeah. the, like the livelihood, like I love that little piece of her is out into the world too. Yeah. Like it's a really beautiful full circle moment for sure. Yeah. I know. And I'm actually curious. I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier about the ecosystem, but I'd love to kind of bring that back a little bit. And I'm kind of curious, like how does their conservation benefit other species in the environment as a whole? Yeah, great question. So wolves are, um, you know, a keystone species. So basically, they Mm. are a species that has pretty significant influence on every other level of the ecosystem. Um, Keystone species Mm. are often large carnivores, um, often kind of that top of the food chain, um, apex Mm. predator, but not always. I mean, a keystone species could be a mouse or an insect that just kind of touches every level of the ecosystem. It really just depends on their impact. But with wolves, Um, because they're also an apex predator, so kind of top of the food chain, um, they maintain a lot of balance in the ecosystem. So wolves are carnivores. Um, They're eating meat, and they're mostly eating ungulates, which is basically a fancy word for animals with hooves. So again, elk, moose, bison, musk ox, caribou. Um, And so those animals, as herbivores, are eating vegetation. And so what happens is without wolves and large carnivores in the ecosystem, so you said you guys are from New York, we have this issue Mm -hmm. here, Um, we don't have wolves, we don't have mountain lions, we don't really have anything kind of naturally controlling the deer population. Um, And so Mm -hmm. what starts to happen um, in the absence of a lot of these predators is that those deer populations just kind of keep growing and growing and growing, Mm -hmm. and they're sort of over browsing, they're decimating a lot of that vegetation. Mm -hmm. And so other animals that really depend on a lush understory, for example, so uh, small mammals, birds, insects, they need it for cover for food. Well, because it's all being eaten, those populations start to suffer as well. Um, And then if you think about it in kind of more human occupied areas, it starts to also have a pretty significant economic impact because Crops are being consumed. Um, deer are being hit by vehicles. Um, there's just a lot of issues that kind of follow that imbalance. Um, and when I say wolves are a keystone species, if you this is kind of the visual that you can um, you know conjure. Um, if you picture kind of an old stone arch, 
you have the stones going up the side and then there's that stone right in the middle at the top. That's the key stone. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to remove that stone, the arch would just crumble to the ground. Um, And so that's what Mm -hmm. happens when a keystone species is removed. Their presence has a huge impact, but so does their absence. Um, And so there have been a lot of situations where when wolves are reintroduced or when wolf populations start to um, thrive, that you start to see a lot of um, ecosystems really being restored, whereas before they were sort of wonky and out of balance and maybe Mm -hmm. not looking or functioning the way that they are intended to. Um, So that is really, you know, how, how impactful they are as a species. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, we also think that wolves have intrinsic value just by nature Mm of being a creature um, they belong. And so we want them to be, where they belong. We don't want them living behind fences. I mean, I always feel silly saying this because, you know, I, I work at the Wolf Center. I'm paid to be there, but it would be great if one day the Wolf Center could close its doors because we didn't need to have such a tight grip on wolf conservation and protecting these species. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, um, I think, very, I don't think a lot of people understand why wolves are so important. A lot of people love them because they're cool. A lot of people hate them Mm -hmm. because they think they're scary, but really none of that actually matters. Um, You know, they're not Mm -hmm. evil. They're not saints. They're just animals trying to survive, but their impact is really, really huge. That's amazing. Honestly, (laughs) like all the things that you've been like saying throughout this whole episode, it's just like, I'm getting educated. I mean, we started off talking about that, honestly, that like, obviously you're the professional here, obviously. And like (laughs) we, I come having you on to like learn so much and like, to be honest to the listeners who are hearing about this today, there's so much more to it as well. Like we're just scratching the surface of what this amazing conservation is like doing for wolves specifically. And And in the environment, really, at the end of the day, like I think that there's so many, as you just described about the ecosystem, how it just trickles down to so many other elements that it's grander than just, you know, the wolves, you know? (laughs) And I think it's so important to visit places like the wolf conservation zone because we can learn from it, but also help support the cause that you guys are doing, which yeah. is so important, not just for the wolves, but for the world, our, 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 our ecosystem too. <laughs> yeah. You know, it trickles down, you know, to, to us as well, to everything. So yeah. I have to ask, because honestly, I will say I'm very excited because I mean, we talked about this off mic. We plan to visit the conservation. Yeah. I'm so excited <laughs> to do that. Mm-hmm. But for our listeners who want to get involved with the Wolf Conservation Center's mission and support, um, how can they support the wolf conservation efforts in their own communities? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great question. So, um, the wolf center operates almost entirely off of donations and the occasional grant. Um, there's Mm -hmm. no federal funding, even though we're part of a federal recovery program. I think there was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a loan or something like that kind of in early COVID. But, um, aside from that, there's a lot of, um, it's all donations and grants. So, Our program fees, when people come visit us, that goes right back into the program, whether it's um, Mm -hmm. outreach efforts, whether it's care for the wolves, um, you know, just operational costs, things like that, um, that all feeds right back into it. Um, You mentioned that in school, you symbolically adopted wolves. We still do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of our wolves are listed on our website and you can um, adopt them at different levels. And I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit biased, but it makes a really great gift. Um, and then that recipient it gets does. updates, <laughs> they get updates, yeah. um, for the next year. And that's always really fun. Um, 
you know, just kind of spreading the word. We have a lot of action alerts on our website. So Mm -hmm. different ways that you can um, get involved. And then we're on pretty much every social media platform there is. Um, Mm -hmm. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. I think that's all of them trying to picture my email (laughs) signature, what's in there, but yeah, yeah, we're, we're everywhere and we try to make wolves a part of everyday life for people. So I'd say the majority Mm -hmm. of our followers do not actually live somewhere that there are currently wolves, but Mm -hmm. if we're just kind of posting a lot, doing live videos, sharing articles, sharing um, different actionable items that people can participate in, we want people to always be thinking about wolves because wolves are always there. Um, They Mm -hmm. need us whether or not we're being impacted by their presence or absence daily. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of different things. And then if you're local, you know, we have um, volunteer opportunities. Um, We do Mm -hmm. high school internships, we do college summer internships, things like that. So there's always different opportunities, um, different ways to reach out and um, get involved. And who knows the impact that you could make. Yay. Exactly. Oh. We planned, by the way, if you missed any social, don't worry. We'll be linking <laughs> all of the socials to the Conservation Center yes. on our website that highlights this episode. So please check it out. And yes. like, you can, so you're able to donate or even visit this amazing center yes. since we plan to do that. And I'm yes. so excited to do it. We're actually doing a special one, which I'm really pumped for. Yeah. Honestly, we're doing we're okay we shouldn't call it this but we're calling we called it like the wolf and sip <laughs> you get a little you have some wine you enjoy the wolf but really learn from it yes what's yes. the actual name so I really shouldn't I should not promote it like that <laughs> so the one that you're attending is our evening yeah. howl and that one specifically yes. is evening howl for adults only so it has yes. wine we have light yes. snacks that's not something that we offer at our standard programs but yes. it's really fun it's nice when it's kind of adults only that be able to have more frank conversations or something more in depth, Mm -hmm. the kids programs, Mm -hmm. you know, we try to make it so everyone is able to sort of follow along. Um, But Mm -hmm. the evening programs are a ton of fun. But yeah, we do programs um, every weekend, you do have to register on our website, you can't just show up. Um, I feel like that's Mm -hmm. worth noting. But um, but yeah, (laughs) we do um, (laughs) programs every weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. We're actually uh, this coming weekend. So at the time of recording the upcoming weekend Mm -hmm. is going to be may 6th um we're starting our um overnight season and so this is a program that runs from may to mid-october and so what it is is we set up tents um along one of our walkways which is you know right by two of our enclosures um Mm -hmm. we have an education program we order pizza we watch a movie outside Mm -hmm. by the wolves um we make s'mores and you're there when the wolves are most active. So often you're mm-hmm. hearing them howl. People will say, oh, my God, I woke up at 3 a.m. to all 30 wolves howling. Um, it's so, cool. so amazing. It's a really popular program. And, you know, you can kind of see why. It's a really fun mm-hmm. adventure. Um, you're there for, you know, pretty long time. You're there for like 15 hours, I want to say. Um, so your mm-hmm. chances of seeing the wolves and hearing the wolves, it's much higher. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so fun, but we're always trying to do all kinds of different, um, educational and kind of adventurous things for people. You guys do a great job. You do. We were looking yeah. at your website. There were so many great events like the one yeah. you're describing and it was like hard to choose, you know, yeah, yeah. granted I'm an adult. So when I saw adult, I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like that, that sounds like a nice Friday night. to be fair night. though, the sleepover one is also amazing. Phenomenal. Like, like you oh said, like you guys highlight that you, they, again, please check out their website because they have so many great events that they host. Yes. 
virtually in person, whether you can travel there or not. Like mm-hmm. you can definitely experience it in your own way, which is really cool that you guys offer that kind of stuff for everybody yeah. who wanted who wants to be involved. I know. I, I'm excited to be able to experience it ourselves. Me too. too. <laughs> I'm so excited and share it with our listeners. Yeah, get excited. I know. Yeah. I can't wait to meet you, Dana. <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm there that day. I'm not sure yet because we don't do the I schedule know. that yeah. far, but hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, cross cross if, if you're not, it's okay. Well, cheers in your honor. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. But thank you so much, though, Dana, for being on and yes. sharing your amazing wisdom and everything about this conservation. We're so excited to yes. share more about it on our website and just experience it for ourselves and hopefully inspire others to donate Do and experience it themselves, too. Again, thank you so much for being on today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah of I course. Oh my god. It's so much fun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. You made it to the end. <laughs> now that we have you here, we'd like to do a little shameless plug in. Of course. <laughs> and encourage you to follow us on all social platforms at The, the Vogel, Vogel Twins. If you want to know more about, like, in depth about our travels, definitely check out our website, TheVogelTwins.com. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.